When you work with Rabo AgriFinance, you get the global knowledge and financial strength of one of the world's largest and most innovative food and ag lenders, tools essential to realizing your ambitions. Discover how an unmatched network of local relationship managers and sector experts can help you confront agriculture's challenges and seize the opportunities that lie ahead. Learn more and contact us at www.raboag.com. Growing a better world together. Rabo AgriFinance. Welcome, everyone, to the Farm CPA podcast presented by Top Producer. I am Paul Neefer, your host. And today we're going to have a conversation with Aaron Alejandro from the Texas FFA. Um, I guess that's, is that the correct? Uh, well, Aaron, fill us in. What's the correct title for you? <laughs> Thank you, Paul. It's uh, Aaron Alejandro. I'm the executive director of the Texas FFA Foundation. Okay. Okay. So you're involved really you're more involved with the raising money to help the FFA in the state of Texas or even on the national level. Would that be an accurate statement? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That uh, put, put all that in perspective. So we're kind of unique in the way that we're structured in, in the state of Texas. There are actually four directors that oversee all of ag, ag science education in the FFA. So we have one individual in the Texas Education Agency, we have a director of our teachers association. We have a director of the Texas FFA association. And then I am the director of the foundation. So we work in tandem with one another to oversee all things team ag ed in the state of Texas. Okay. And then are you based in Austin or where are you based at? Yes, sir. We have a, an office in Austin, just a few blocks from the Capitol. And then I also operate out of my home office as well as just on the road like I tell anybody in today's world, and I've been doing it for 23 years. Uh, so long before COVID ever hit, I was already doing this remote thing. Uh, as long as you've got good internet and good cell service, you can operate from just about anywhere. Well, in Texas, it can take you 12 hours to get from Amarillo to uh, to the tip down at the bottom anyway. So it's it's a pretty good size uh, state in the country. Yes, sir. Uh, you're, you're right. Where I live, I live in Wichita Falls. So I nope. live kind of on the on the northeast side of the state uh, from my house to South Padre Island, my house to Pensacola Beach, Florida, and my house to Indianapolis, Indiana are all about the same distance. <laughs> so, well, we always like to start off uh, with your background. It sounds like you've been doing this a while, but let's start back where you grew up, education and how you decided to get involved in the FFA uh, structure as far as where you are now. Thanks, Paul. I, you know, the thing I appreciate about that question is, you know, everybody's got a story. And, and I love opportunities like this where you bring guests on and we get to share stories. Um, in a nutshell, my story is I grew up uh, in Dallas, Texas. I grew up in a broken home. Uh, my mom and dad divorced when I was six. My father passed away when I was 10. Um, I got into a lot of trouble in school. My mom was looking for some help and she tried various resources, churches, big brothers, big sisters. And finally she hit her wits in and she decided to place me at a place outside of Amarillo called Cal Farley's Boys Ranch. When I got to Boys Ranch, they introduced me to my dorm parent. His name was Winston Chandler. And Mr. Chandler uh, didn't really give us a choice. All the boys in his dorm, we all had to be in ag. 
So he put me in FFA. He put me in ag science. I never signed up for it. So I can tell you a city kid from Dallas being thrown into this, the outskirts of the of West Texas and now being put in ag, it was a, it was shell shock. Um, <laughs> I had a pity party for two years, uh, kind of felt sorry for myself and the world thought the world had treated me unfairly. And uh, I remember as a sophomore, I went to a leadership workshop and a state officer said something that kind of got my attention that day. You know, I was that kid sat in the back of the room, didn't say a whole lot. State officer came up to me, and said, Aaron, what are you going to do with your life? You're 16. You're going to graduate in two years. And I just told him I hadn't really thought about it. And he said, well, you better start thinking about it. It's going to be too late. Now, Paul, don't tell me why. I can tell you why that made sense that day, but it did. And I went back to the ranch that year and I ran for chapter office. I was chapter treasurer my senior year. I was chapter president. I thought about going to college. And so I asked my teachers about that. And they told me I had to take an ACT or an SAT. I asked them which one was easier. They said the ACT. I said, sign me up. Um, you, you want to watch something funny, watch 36 Boys Ranch Seniors taking a test because we really weren't interested in our test scores. We just wanted to go to town because you know, there was girls in town, the food was better and we didn't have to work. So yeah, exactly. the quicker I could get done with my test, the quicker I could enjoy my environment. So I managed to bubble in a 14 on my ACT. So then I asked my mom for help. I said, mom, no one in our family's ever gone to college. Can you help me? And my mom pulled her checkbook out and she gave me a check for $25. So I've got $25 and a 14 on my ACT. I love asking people, what do you think the odds of me going to college were? And everybody usually says slim to none, not possible. And I always remind them, I said, I grew up at a time where y'all told me I could be anything that I wanted to be. You grew, I grew up at a time where you said that you can dream as big as you want to dream. If you're willing to work for it, you can do it. And I said, I wanted to go to college. The only friend that I had at that time was that blue and gold FFA jacket. And I, I'll never forget, I tell people all the time, when I put that jacket on and zip it up, I look like everybody else. You didn't know what my test score was. You didn't know how much money I had. You didn't know that I actually used to get my dinner out of a garbage can. You knew none of that. I had the same opportunity as everybody else, and I took advantage of it. I ran for state FFA president in 1985 behind a podium and lectern so large you couldn't see me in Houston, Texas. I stood on a milk crate, and I was elected Texas FFA president. As a result, I went back to Texas Tech University on five scholarships left Texas Tech, went to work for a member of the United States Congress who him, himself was also a former boys rancher and a former state FFA president, uh, Congressman Bill Sarpolis, who on a side note went on um, to serve in the US Congress and sat on the back of a yellow Lithuanian school bus and with America's Declaration of Independence, helped Lithuania write their Declaration of Independence from Russia. I worked for the congressman for six years. I came back, the voters decided I needed a new job. So I left that job and started working in a boot camp. I worked with true offenders and I worked in a prison because I could kind of relate to those circumstances. In 2000, they put a think tank together for the Texas FFA, dreaming as big as we could dream. If we could have anything we wanted, what would it be? And I contributed to that dialogue. I was part of that focus group. And as a result, they offered me a job. In okay. 2000, I was a, a single dad with two kids and I didn't necessarily want to move them to Austin, Texas. And so I went down to a meeting to actually turn the job down. 
And we all determined that in today's world with strong internet, good communication, you can work remotely. The rest is history. Okay. 20 okay. years ago, I took the job. Today, our foundation, uh, when I started, we were just under $3 million. Before the market started acting up, we were over $16 million. Um, first million dollar gift in the history of FFA came to Texas. Uh, the second million dollar gift in the history of FFA came to Texas. National got the third. I got the fourth and I'm looking for the fifth. So maybe somebody <laughs> listening on this call, they're going to help us out. But Paul, well, that, um, that, that's how I got here. Um, I, I will sum it up with one last little insight for you. Um, I remember coming home from school one day and my mom's car was in the front yard and she shouldn't have been home. And I remember going in the back of the house and I eased my mom's bedroom door open and I get my hat from my mom. She was a tiny woman. And there was my mom on the foot of her bed on her knees with tears coming down her face, wailing out to God because we had nothing to eat. And I'll never forget her praying and saying, God, will you please bring my son something to eat? Will you please bring us some food? But the words that I never forgot is she said, God, would you please just give my son an opportunity? And fast forward years later, my oldest son, whose name is Chandler, my oldest son and I were working in an orphanage in Chihuahua, Mexico. And I remember asking the, the lady that ran the orphanage, I said, sister, what do you need? Do you need food, clothing, medicine? You know, what can we help you with? Sister, what is your prayer for these children? And she said, mister, I just pray that these kids will have an opportunity. When Chandler yeah. was in fourth grade, it was bring your daddy to school day. What does your daddy do? And I thought, how am I going to explain to a bunch of fourth graders what an FFA development officer does? I mean, I live in a town with NATO pilots and, you know, doctors and lawyers and teachers and really cool jobs. And then, you know, we got Chandler's daddy. He's like a professional beggar. He asked for money. <laughs> and I remember I went up to the board and I drew a little bitty door and I asked the kids, I said, how many of y'all could get through that door? And they said, no, sir. And then I drew a really big door and I said, now, how many of y'all could get through that door? And they said, yes, sir. I said, that's what I do. I make doors bigger. And so for 23 years, we've been making the doors of scholarship, leadership development, professional development bigger for our students and our teachers. And, you know, we just challenge people to grab a hammer and nail and help us make them even bigger for the people that are going to follow in our footsteps. So in the state of texas how big is the ffa organization or approximately how many students are in it at the high school and then at the college level okay very good um, at the high school junior high let's, let's go middle school and high school okay uh you got in the state of texas about two hundred and forty-four thousand plus students enrolled in some agricultural science course uh, FFA membership is in excess of 170,000 members. Okay. One county, Harris County, which is the fourth largest city in the country, uh, Houston, Harris County, that one county alone has more members, chapters, and teachers than 25% of the United States combined. So when people think that ag science and FFA is just a, a, a rural program, uh, if you look at the demographics of Texas, you would find that that is not necessarily true. Uh, the Dallas area, the San Antonio, Austin, and Houston area uh, have an incredible population of ag science students and FFA students. 
So is Texas unique in the structure that you mentioned at the beginning where you have the four the four leaderships, so to speak? Is that unique to Texas or have other states started to do something like that? Yeah, I, I think it is, Paul. Um, and, and, and ours came out of necessity, by the way. So what happened was is that when we received an original gift and they put that gift in an endowment account, we, we kind of got the sense that the Texas Education Agency was looking at, at that, those funds. And so we thought we might be wise to create a foundation and move those funds out of the organization and move them into a foundation. And, uh, and we did. And then probably one of the other things that we did in 1997, which was pretty smart, was we moved the, the Texas FFA Association out of the Texas Education Agency as well. So kind of making ourselves a little more independent and, and not, you know, not as directly tied to the government oversight has allowed us to be a little more nimble and obviously a little more creative and, and make decisions quicker. Uh, obviously, we still have a curriculum component that we are tied to the state education agency, but in terms of our career technical student organization, the FFA, we definitely have the flexibility to move it, vision it, and create missions and strategies that people are drawn to. You know, I, I, I think anytime you can be independent from any state or federal agency, you definitely are better off. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say that too loud, but I, I definitely would agree with that. Well, Paul, I mean, here's the thing. I get a kick out of it. It's funny that you said that. I use this example all the time. I'm sure you've heard the opening ceremonies of an FFA meeting. Mm -hmm. In the opening ceremonies, they get to the part about the treasurer and George Washington. What does it say? It says George Washington was better able to serve his country because he was financially independent. Okay. <laughs> that, it's just like our forefathers. There was a lot of wisdom in those words. Yeah. And they still echo today. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And then at the national level, and you may not have these numbers as well as you do at the Texas level, but about how many how many kids are in the national FFA? I think their membership now is well over 700,000. Um, you know, I, I know that in the state of Texas, we've consistently grown since the year 2000. The only year that we had a setback and it really wasn't, I wouldn't say a setback, just kind of stagnated was during COVID. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I believe national is pretty much the same way. You know, one of my favorite quotes comes from Wayne Gretzky, you know, the great hockey player. And they always ask Gretzky, you know, what makes you such a great hockey player? And he said, you know, most players skate to where the puck is. I skate to where the puck is going. Yep. And I think that in the world of food, um, food production, food security, I think we're at a point in our country where people recognize that in about 28 years, we're going to need about 60 to 70% more food than we have today. There, there's not going to be 60 or 70% more land, more water. We're going to have to figure out how we're going to feed a hungry world. Yes. And, you know, pe people talk about geopolitical issues and social issues and all those things. I got news for you. When people start getting hungry, those those debates are going to go out the window. So I think when you're looking at the future and you're looking at um, the opportunity that exists, I've got to believe that's a reason. That's part of the reason why we're seeing a membership increase is I think people are seeing that there's an opportunity here. 
And it could be very, not, not only is it going to be personally rewarding to think that I helped feed somebody, but I think there's also some real uh, business and financial opportunities there as well. Now, as a foundation, you know, you're normally required to, uh, you know, spend at least 5% of your funds on either expenses of running the organization or distributing funds to your FFA members. So on the Texas Foundation, is it primarily for scholarships or what, what are those funds being used for? That's a great question. Uh, and so the answer is yes. So the bottom line is this, you know, I, I tell people all the time at the end of every dollar, there is an opportunity for a student or a teacher to improve themselves. For the students, it could be leadership development programs that we sponsor and support, or it could be scholarships. Uh, in the state of Texas, through our generous sponsors, we're able to provide annually uh, more than $2.3 million in award and academic scholarships. Um, put that in perspective, Paul, that's the same as the national FFA. So national does 2.3 million nationally. We do 2.3 million within the state of Texas. Now, I'm going to be honest and tell you, I'm not going to take any credit for that. That's because we've got some great sponsors that have helped us build up endowment accounts that allow us to do that. Um, so I would tell you that uh, scholarship opportunities, but the other thing is leadership development opportunities. Um, one of my favorite quotes, in addition to Gretzky's, is Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln said that the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next. So when I unpack that, I go back to our ag roots and I think about my ag roots. And I tell people all the time, if agriculture has taught me anything, it's taught me that if you want to know what the future is, grow it. Yeah. Well, if we want to grow our kids and we want to grow our communities and we want to grow our free enterprise system, that means we've got to invest in the minds of our young people. And here's the thing, Paul, if we don't compete for their minds, we can't be upset because somebody else did. We, we, either, we either get in the game and compete for the attention of our kids or don't whine about somebody else getting it. So we're pretty deliberate in the state of Texas about our leadership development, you know, what we're trying to work on, the fact that we're trying to compete for the minds of our kids, because it's not just about their opportunity today, it's the state of our, our cities, our counties, and our, our communities in the future. And so in Texas, I assume, do you have a state convention and then you have the federal convention? I, I'm just curious how your convention structure works and then how the national one works. Excellent, excellent. Love, love questions like this, Paul, keep them coming. So we have a, uh, we, we do have, we have 12 areas in Texas each of those 12 areas have a convention. And then we also have a state convention. Matter of fact, it's coming up uh, July 10th through the 14th. And if you just happen to be in the Lone Star State area, I would invite you to come on down and see it. It is the largest youth-led convention in the state of Texas. Uh, this year, we are expecting over 17,000 members and guests. So for, for one week, it is a full-on rock concert. I mean, we have a full production stage, we will recognize over 2,500 kids. 2,500 kids will be recognized on stage with a scholarship, certificate, uh, or some acknowledgement for a job well done. Um, National FFA convention, it's, it's, it's even bigger. Uh, National convention is in Indianapolis, Indiana, and they'll have 
between 60 and 70,000 members and guests from around the whole United States and Puerto Rico. Uh, I always loved when I was a kid going to the national convention and finding people from outside of our state and outside of the South to talk to them because we thought they talked funny and they thought we talked funny. <laughs> but now I agree with them more than I agree with you. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we, uh, we're, we're fortunate with our conventions. They're, they're a great professional networking opportunity. And, uh, you know, I, I, let, Paul, one more example here in the state of Texas, there's over 3000 high schools. Okay. Now, now think about that. There's over 3000 high schools. Every one of them are going to have a graduating class. Every one of them are going to have kids that are going to get out. They're going to be looking for a job, scholarship, or an opportunity. So what I always ask the kids is, what's your competitive edge? What, what separates you from all those other people seeking that opportunity or that scholarship? You've got to create a competitive edge. And I believe that the FFA gives kids competitive edge through the leadership development but also through their professional networks. You know, you know you're in business. People who have strong networks are able to solve problems quicker and they're able to capitalize on opportunities quicker. So if yep. a kid's smart, they'll develop their professional networks through their school experience and FFA, keep those connections through college, and I guarantee you they will have great career success. You know, and certainly at your the beginning of this interview, we we had your story. I, I guess maybe you could distill what do you think the key benefit to kids participating in ffa is Ooh. all right i'm going to tell you what i think it is okay here, here's what i think it is uh i was in uh, fort worth texas one time pitching a proposal to a gentleman that had some significant capacity and i gave him my best pitch and I'll never forget at the end of my pitch, he just kind of put his glasses on the table. He never smiled. And he just looked at me and he said, Aaron, he said, you guys in FFA act like you have a lock on leadership. He said, you act like nobody else does what you do. He said, doesn't, doesn't uh, speech and debate teach speech and debate? Doesn't football teach teamwork? Doesn't band teach ensemble? He, he goes, Aaron, what is it that you think y'all do that nobody else does? And anybody that knows me knows I like good questions. And that was a good question. Yep. And I looked at him and I said, I'm going to answer you a couple of ways. I said, number one, one day outside of my community, I was in a coffee shop where the old folks kind of gather and cuss and discuss what's wrong with this country. And they were telling me, they said, Alejandro, to put this country back on track, we got to get back to the basics. The three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic. And if we'll get back to the three R's, we'll put this country back on track. Now, at the time, that's when I was working in the boot camp with the truant offenders and in the prison. And I looked at him, I said, gentlemen, I mean, you no disrespect, but I work with some at-risk populations, but every one of them can read, write, and do math at a functional level. I said, I agree with you. We need to get back to the basics, the three R's. But I would argue it's not reading, writing, and arithmetic. I would argue it's respect responsibility and resiliency. And I said, I think we do a good job with those three in the FFA. I said, but I'm gonna answer your question with a little more specifics of what I think makes our kids different. I said, I remember there was a blizzard blowing in on the Texas Panhandle and I remember my dorm parent, Mr. Chandler, giving me a sledgehammer 
and he told me to drive to the other side of the ranch and bust the water trough for the horses. And I told Mr. Chandler, I don't want to go. It's cold out there. The wind's blowing. It feels like razors cutting through the skin. But I'll never forget Mr. Chandler and his old country wisdom. He looked at me and he said, darling, do you get thirsty when it's cold? I said, yes, sir. He said, don't you think those horses get thirsty too? I said, yes, sir. I drove five miles that day through a blizzard to bust the water trough for the horses. I looked at this guy in Fort Worth, Texas, and I said, I'm going to tell you what separates our kids from everybody else. In the world of agriculture, if we don't do our job, something dies. If we don't do our job, something dies. That is a core value that you instill in a kid that they will carry with them for the rest of their life. They will carry it into their families. They will carry it into their communities. And they will always know that there is a responsibility bigger than themselves. I think when we couple that kind of core value with leadership development training, kids have record books, they understand finances. Um, I believe that when we give kids those kind of tools, I, I believe that's what separates them. And that's what creates that value in that blue and gold jacket. I, I, I think that's, you definitely brought that across correctly, I think. So, hey, uh, Aaron, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break for a sponsor message, and then we'll come back and uh, follow up with some of the key questions I always ask on my uh, on our podcast. Sounds good. How many years away is the long run for a farmer? Five years? Ten years? Top producers like Hans Reinchi, a blue diamond farming company in Jessup, Iowa, know RoboAgri Finance shares his enduring vision for the future. Whether it's building our grain site or if it's purchasing the next field, we're able to turn to Robo as a trusted partner to help us get financing to make those generational decisions. With unmatched financial capacity, local relationship managers, and a global network of sector experts to offer market guidance, RoboAgri Finance provides enterprising farmers with a personalized approach to lending and financial services. Growing a better world together, RoboAgri Finance. Welcome back everyone to the Farm CPA Podcast. This is Paul Neefer, your host, and we're going to rejoin our conversation with Aaron Alondro of the Texas FFA Foundation. I think I got that right. So, uh, um, Aaron, I think I already know this answer, but I'm going to ask it. Um, who was your mentor? Man, I, I've been blessed with many. Oh, my gosh. I, if I started handing out kudos, I know that I'd miss somebody. Um, I've been very fortunate. Uh, I tell people all the time, I've lived a blessed life. Um, one of my early mentors when I was in high school came through a book, a book by an author named Zig Ziglar. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, Zig didn't even know it back then, but he was my mentor. And uh, interestingly enough, when I was state FFA president and I would go home to Dallas on the weekends, I would actually go to, to Zig Sunday school class in downtown Dallas. And um, circle that story back around today, Zig Ziglar's son, Tom Ziglar, serves on our foundation board of directors. But 
I've had a lot of mentors, Paul. Uh, I'm appreciative to the man that raised me at Boys Ranch. Uh, I'm appreciative to some of the sponsors and people along the way that have become friends and mentors. Uh, I would be, I, again, I, I, I would leave somebody off if I started. I just would tell everybody that I've crossed paths with, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Now, I understand perfectly. And then so you're, you're, you sort of work at home, you're on the road a lot, you have some kids and so on. Uh, do you have time for any hobbies? I love the great outdoors. Um, I, I absolutely love the great outdoors. I'm a big proponent of wildlife management. Um, I'm a bow hunter, I'm a fisherman. Um, I did go through a stint of being a pretty competitive golfer. Um, I have studied combative martial arts for over 20 years. And, um, you know, uh, I love, you know, spending time with the family. Got grandkids now. It's kind of crazy. Thank you, Blink. And <laughs> all, all of a sudden, you go from kids to grandkids. Uh, but, you know, uh, I tell people all the time that, you know, we all have something in common. We all have a birthday. <laughs> and everybody kind of chuckles. I said, I want you to think about that. I said, every one of us, the day we were born, we took an inhale. And that's how it all starts. And uh, one day when our purpose is through, we're all going to exhale. Yeah. And life's just a breath. And so when I reflect on all that, I, I guess I'm just thankful for all those breaths and all the opportunities. And, uh, you know, I can't say thank you enough to the FFA in my life. I mean, I've been to every state in the country except for Alaska. Uh, my family's got to travel with me on FFA activities and speaking events and things that I've done. So um, I'm just very fortunate. And uh, I feel like that's why maybe I've been put in the position that I've been put in because, you know, it, it's meant the world to me. And I, if, if I can make that even better for somebody else, I want to do it. So you said you're a bow hunter. Is that for deer or what, what type of animals do you normally hunt with a bow? Well, I have uh, deer, hot, wild, we got, Texas has an incredible wild hog problem, as you might yep. have heard. Yeah. Uh, so um, I'm fond of that. Um, I actually uh, went sandhill crane hunting with some uh, folks from Ducks Unlimited and was able to harvest a sandhill crane with my bow. Mm. Um, I would like to maybe, I've been on alligator hunts, but I'd kind of like to do that with the bow. Uh, that'd be interesting. That would be yeah. interesting. <laughs> yeah, I just, you know, my wife, I get a kick out of it. I'll go out to the blind and I'll be out there and she'll say, well, did you see anything? I said, yeah. She goes, well, why didn't you, why didn't you get it? I didn't want to clean it. I just wanted to be outside. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You want to enjoy the outdoors. This <laughs> mental, mental health time. Yeah. And then, uh, is there anything that keeps you up at night? I guess so. Um, one of the experiences I had is uh, the gentleman that helped drop me off at Boys Ranch. He was a he was a PE teacher in my middle school, and he was a deacon in my church. His name was Cy Young, not the baseball Cy Young. His name was Cy. <laughs> so Cy drops me off with my mom at Boys Ranch, and then years later, I'm working for the congressman, and Cy comes to me and he said, "Hey, I'm." put together a little military reunion group and I was wondering if you would uh, if you would facilitate our press conferences. I said, you know, Cy, whatever you need, you know I'm gonna do it for you. And I said, Cy, what do you 
who are you putting together? And he said, I'm putting together the Iwo Jima Survivors Group. Paul, I didn't realize that my middle school coach and deacon at my church was a survivor of the Battle of Iwo Jima. Mm. So for four years, I facilitated the press conferences for the Iwo Jima Survivors Group. And in those four years, all four years, we had General Paul Tibbetts and the remaining crew members of the Enola Gay. We had all the Medal of Honor recipients from the Battle of Iwo Jima. And we had the survivors of the USS Indianapolis. I will, I will never forget a press conference where we, we had General Tibbetts and the crew members of the Enola Gay and a reporter asked General Tibbetts how he was doing with his alcoholism that after dropping the bomb on Hiroshima that, you know, he turned to alcohol to drown the pain. The room got really quiet and I'll never forget Tibbetts. He was such a, such a incredible leader. And Tibbetts just looked at her and he said, ma'am, I've heard about people like you, but I've never met one. You're what we call revisionist. And you want to revise history to fit a narrative, but it may not be the truth. And he said, so let me tell you about the order that the president gave me and the order that I carried out and the way I've lived my life to this day. And then he goes into detail. He gives all the details. And then he tells her that he had never taken a drink. I think the thing that I worry about, Paul, is sometimes I came away that day knowing that if you don't know your history, it's easy to revise it. Yep. And whether that's your state history, your community history, uh, you know, I did a podcast interview with Mike Rowe one time and Mike Rowe and I were talking and he said something about know your address. And I, I, I guess the thing that sometimes keeps me up is to think that if we don't, easiest way to change history is not to know it. Right, right. Yeah, we need our, we, we need our young people to understand that the fact that we get to choose what we eat, the fact that we have these incredible social media platforms to complain that we can choose the job that we want, to choose whether or not we want to go to church, the, the, to, to walk outside and hold up a sign and dislike my government, that, you know, not, not everybody around the world has that. And um, I guess it's kind of important for me that we remember how grateful we should be for the, for the liberties and opportunities that we have. Yeah, good, good points. And then finally, what's what's your definition of success in maybe farming or business or or in the FFA? You know, you kind of go back to the breath story. I think when it comes to success, and just like your podcast, I think we should all try to find our purpose. And I would say that it may be through that purpose we become stewards. That, that maybe success is leaving things just a little bit better yeah. Yeah. because you're yeah. here. I mean, we, we have two sayings. We have a program called the Foundation Ambassadors where we train the kids in leadership techniques. And two of the comments, two, two of the main quotes that drive that program, number one, when your values are clear, your choices are easy. Uh, when your values are clear, your choices are easy. And the other one kind of speaks to your question is the essence of leadership is to plant trees under whose shade you may never sit. Yeah. And so I hope that along the way, you, your listeners, our kids in FFA and Ag Science, you know, 
you hope you plant seeds with them that they know that their responsibilities go out and plant those for somebody else. Yeah. And uh, if, we, if we do that, eh, I'd say that's pretty rewarding work. That's success. No, totally agree. Totally agree. Well, Aaron, those are the questions I had. Is there anything else you'd like to say before we sign off? No, I would say to every farmer and rancher out there, everybody that is involved in food production, agriculture, from from farm to table, you know, I would just say thank you. You're never going to be told thank you enough. No one's ever going to appreciate or understand the hours, the work. I worked every ag job at Boys Ranch. I milked cows by hand. I worked in the slaughterhouse. I bucked alfalfa bales. Uh, I ran irrigation pipe. I worked in greenhouses. I worked in a field. I did every ag job at Boys Ranch. If anybody's out there listening to your podcast and they are, they're involved in agriculture. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, again, Aaron, thank you very much for taking time out of your day to do this. And uh, maybe we'll uh, run into each other down in Austin or Indianapolis or somewhere else. You call anytime. Anytime you come to the great state of Texas, you let me know and I'll find us a good place to go get a steak. Okay. Sounds good. Again, this is the Farm CPA podcast presented by Top Producer. I am Paul Neefer, your host, signing off. When you work with Robo AgriFinance, you get the global knowledge and financial strength of one of the world's largest and most innovative food and ag lenders, tools essential to realizing your ambitions. Discover how an unmatched network of local relationship managers and sector experts can help you confront agriculture's challenges and seize the opportunities that lie ahead. Learn more and contact us at www.roboag.com. Growing a better world together. Robo AgriFinance.